0: Phase the fourth, the consequence, Part three, from Tess of the D'urbervilles by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty-three. Now, who might ye think I heard news of this morning? Said Derryman Crick as he sat down to breakfast next day with a riddling gaze round upon the munching men and maids. Now, just whom might you think? one guessed and another guessed mrs crick did not guess because she knew already well said the dairyman tis that slack twisted horse of a feller jack dollop he's lately got married to a widow woman not jack dollop a villain to think of that said a milker the name entered quickly into tess durbeyfield's consciousness for it was the name of the lover who had wronged his sweetheart and had afterwards been so roughly used by the young woman's mother in the butter-churn. "'And had he married the valiant matron's daughter, as he promised?' asked Angel Clare absently, as he turned over the newspaper he was reading at the little table to which he was always banished by Mrs. Crick, in her sense of his gentility. "'Not he, sir. Never meant to,' replied the dairyman. "'As I say, tis a widow woman, and she had money, it seems. Fifty pound a year or so, and that was all he was after. And then she told him that by marrying she had lost her fifty pound a year. Just fancy the state of my gentleman's mind at that news! Never such a cat and dog life as they've been leading ever since. Serves him well be right, but unluckily the poor woman gets the worst of it. Well, the silly body should have told him sooner that the ghost of her first man would trouble him. Said Missus Crick, "Ay, ay." Responded the dairyman indecisively. Still, you can see exactly how it was. She wanted a home and didn't like to run the risk of losing him. Don't ye think that was something like it, maidens? He glanced towards the row of girls. She ought to have told him just before they went to church when he could hardly have backed out," exclaimed Marian. "Yes, she ought," agreed Is. She must have seen what he was after. "'And should a refused him!' cried Reddy, spasmodically. "'And what do you say, my dear?' asked the dairyman of Tess. "'I think she ought to have told him the true state of things, or else refused him. "'I don't know,' replied Tess, the bread and butter choking her. "'Be cursed if I'd a done either of it,' said Beck Nibbs, a married helper from one of the cottages. "'All's fair in love and war.' i'd a married him just as she did and if he'd said two words to me about not telling me beforehand anything whatsoever about my first chap that i hadn't chose to tell i'd a knocked him down with a rolling-pim a scram little feller like he any woman could do it the laughter which followed this sally was supplemented only by a sorry smile for form's sake from tess what was comedy to them was tragedy to her and she could hardly bear their mirth. She soon rose from the table, and, with an impression that Clare would soon follow her, went along a little wriggling path, now stepping to one side of the irrigating channels, and now to the other, till she stood by the main stream of the Var. Men had been cutting the water-weeds higher up the river, and masses of them were floating past her, moving islands of green crowfoot, whereon she might almost have ridden long locks of which weed had lodged against the piles driven to keep the cows from crossing. Yes, there was the pain of it. This question of a woman telling her story, the heaviest of crosses to herself, seemed but amusement to others. It was as if people should laugh at martyrdom. "'Tessie!' came from behind her, and Clare sprang across the gully, alighting beside her feet. "'My wife!' soon no no i cannot for your sake oh mr clare for your sake i say no tess still i say no she repeated not expecting this he had put his arm lightly round her waist the moment after speaking beneath her hanging tail of hair the younger dairymaids including tess Breakfasted with their hair loose on Sunday mornings before building it up extra high for attending church, a style they could not adopt when milking with their heads against the cows. If she had said yes instead of no, he would have kissed her. It had evidently been his intention, but her determined negative deterred his scrupulous heart. Their condition of domiciliary comradeship put her, as the woman, to such disadvantage by its enforced intercourse that he felt it unfair to her to exercise any pressure of blandishment which he might have honestly employed had she been better able to avoid him he released her momentarily imprisoned waist and withheld the kiss it all turned on that release what had given her strength to refuse him this time was solely the tale of the widow told by the dairyman and that would have been overcome in another moment but angel said no more his face was perplexed he went away day after day they met somewhat less constantly than before and thus two or three weeks went by the end of september drew near and she could see in his eye that he might ask her again his plan of procedure was different now as though he had made up his mind that her negatives were, after all, only coyness and youth startled by the novelty of the proposal. The fitful evasiveness of her manner, when the subject was under discussion, countenanced the idea. So he played a more coaxing game, and while never going beyond words, or attempting the renewal of caresses, he did his utmost orally. In this way, Clare persistently wooed her in undertones, like that of the purling milk at the cow's side, at skimmings, at butter makings, at cheese makings, among broody poultry, and among farrowing pigs, as no milkmaid was ever wooed before by such a man. Tess knew that she must break down. Neither a religious sense of a certain moral validity in the previous union, nor a conscientious wish for candor, could hold out against it much longer. She loved him so passionately, and he was so godlike in her eyes, and, being, though untrained, instinctively refined, her nature cried for his tutelary guidance. And thus, though Tess kept repeating to herself, I can never be his wife, the words were vain. A proof of her weakness lay in the very utterance of what calm strength would not have taken the trouble to formulate. Every sound of his voice, beginning on the old subject, stirred her with a terrifying bliss, and she coveted the recantation she feared. His manner was, what man's is not, so much that of one who would love and cherish and defend her under any conditions, changes, charges, or revelations, that her gloom lessened as she basked in it. The season, meanwhile, was drawing onward to the equinox and though it was still fine the days were much shorter the dairy again worked by morning candlelight for a long time and a fresh renewal of clare's pleading occurred one morning between three and four she had run up in her bedgown to his door to call him as usual then had gone back to dress and call the others and in ten minutes was walking to the head of the stairs with the candle in her hand at the same moment he came down his steps from above in his shirt-sleeves and put his arm across the stairway. "'Now, Miss Flirt, before you go down,' he said, peremptorily, "'it is a fortnight since I spoke, and this won't do any longer. You must tell me what you mean, or I shall have to leave this house. My door was ajar just now, and I saw you. For your own safety I must go. You don't know.' "'Well, is it to be yes, at last?' i am only just up mr clare and it is too early to take me to task she pouted you need not call me flirt tis cruel and untrue wait till by and by please wait till by and by i will really think seriously about it between now and then let me go downstairs she looked a little like what he said she was as holding the candle sideways she tried to smile away the seriousness of her words. "'Call me Angel, then, and not Mr. Clare.' "'Angel! Angel, dearest! Why not?' Would mean that I agree, wouldn't it? It would only mean that you love me, even if you cannot marry me. And you were so good as to own that long ago.' "'Very well, then. Angel, dearest! If I must,' she murmured, looking at her candle a roguish curl coming upon her mouth, notwithstanding her suspense. Clare had resolved never to kiss her until he had obtained her promise, but somehow, as Tess stood there in her prettily tucked-up milking-gown, her hair carelessly heaped upon her head till there should be leisure to arrange it when skimming and milking were done, he broke his resolve, and brought his lips to her cheek for one moment she passed downstairs very quickly never looking back at him or saying another word the other maids were already down and the subject was not pursued except marian they all looked wistfully and suspiciously at the pair in the sad yellow rays which the morning candles emitted in contrast with the first cold signals of the dawn without when skimming was done which as the milk diminished with the approach of autumn was a lessening process day by day Ready and the rest went out. The lovers followed them. Our tremulous lives are so different from theirs, are they not? He musingly observed to her, as he regarded the three figures tripping before him through the frigid pallor of opening day. Not so very different, I think, she said. Why do you think that? There are very few women's lives that are not tremulous, Tess replied, pausing over the new word as if it impressed her there's more in those three than you think what is in them almost either of them she began would make perhaps would make a properer wife than i and perhaps they love you as well as i almost oh tessie there were signs that it was an exquisite relief to her to hear the impatient exclamation though she had resolved so intrepidly to let generosity make one bid against herself that was now done, and she had not the power to attempt self-immolation a second time then. They were joined by a milker from one of the cottages, and no more was said on that which concerned them so deeply. But Tess knew that this day would decide it. In the afternoon several of the dairymen's household and assistants went down to the Meads as usual, a long way from the dairy, where many of the cows were milked without being driven home. The supply was getting less as the animals advanced in calf, and the supernumerary milkers of the lush green season had been dismissed. The work progressed leisurely. Each pailful was poured into tall cans that stood in a large spring wagon which had been brought upon the scene, and when they were milked the cows trailed away. Dairyman Crick, who was there with the rest, his wrapper gleaming miraculously white against a leaden evening sky, suddenly looked at his heavy watch why tis later than i thought he said begad we shan't be soon enough with this milk at the station if we don't mind there's no time to-day to take it home and mix it with the bulk afore sending it off it must go to station straight from here who'll drive it across mr clare volunteered to do so though it was none of his business asking tess to accompany him the evening though sunless had been warm and muggy for the season, and Tess had come out with her milking hood only, naked-armed and jacketless, certainly not dressed for a drive. She therefore replied by glancing over her scant habiliments, but Clare gently urged her. She assented by relinquishing her pail and stool to the dairyman to take home, and mounted the spring-wagon beside Clare. Chapter 30 In the diminishing daylight they went along the level roadway through the meads, which stretched away into grey miles, and were backed, in the extreme edge of distance, by the swarthy and abrupt slopes of Egdon Heath. On its summit stood clumps and stretches of fir trees, whose notched tips appeared like battlemented towers crowning black-fronted castles of enchantment. They were so absorbed in the sense of being close to each other that they did not begin talking for a long while. The silence being broken only by the clucking of the milk in the tall cans behind them, the lane they followed was so solitary that the hazelnuts had remained on the boughs till they slipped from their shells, and the blackberries hung in heavy clusters every now and then. Angel would fling the lash of his whip round one of these, pluck it off, and give it to his companion. The dull sky soon began to tell its meaning by sending down herald drops of rain, and the stagnant air of the day changed into a fitful breeze which played about their faces. The quick silvery glaze on the rivers and pools vanished. From broad mirrors of light they changed to lustreless sheets of lead, with a surface like a rasp. But that spectacle did not affect their preoccupation. Her countenance, a natural carnation slightly embrowned by the season, had deepened its tinge with the beating of the raindrops and her hair, which the pressure of the cow's flanks had as usual caused to tumble down from its fastenings and stray beyond the curtain of her calico bonnet, was made clammy by the moisture till it hardly was better than seaweed. "'I ought not to have come, I suppose,' she murmured, looking at the sky. "'I am sorry for the rain,' said he, "'but how glad I am to have you here!' remote Egdon disappeared, by degree, behind the liquid gauze. The evening grew darker, and the roads being crossed by gates, it was not safe to drive faster than at a walking pace. The air was rather chill. "'I am so afraid you will get cold, with nothing upon your arms and shoulders,' he said. "'Creep close to me, and perhaps the drizzle won't hurt you much. I should be sorrier still if I did not think that the rain might be helping me.' She imperceptibly crept closer, and he wrapped round them both a large piece of sailcloth, which was sometimes used to keep the sun off the milk cans. Tess held it from slipping off him as well as herself. Clare's hands being occupied. Now oh, we are all right again. Oh no, we are not. It runs down my neck a little, and it must still more into yours. That's better. Your arms are like wet marble, Tess. Wipe them in the cloth. Now, if you stay quiet, you will not get another drop. Well, dear, about that question of mine, that long-standing question. The only reply that he could hear for a little while was the smack of the horses' hoofs on the moistening road, and the cluck of the milk in the cans behind them. Do you remember what you said? I do, she replied before we get home mind i'll try he said no more then as they drove on the fragment of an old manor-house of caroline date rose against the sky and was in due course passed and left behind that he observed to entertain her is an interesting old place one of the several seats which belong to an ancient norman family formerly of great influence in this county the d'urbervilles i never pass one of their residences without thinking of them there is something very sad in the extinction of a family of renown even if it was fierce domineering feudal renown yes said tess they crept along towards a point in the expanse of shade just at hand at which a feeble light was beginning to assert its presence a spot where by day a a fitful white streak of steam at intervals upon the dark green background denoted intermittent moments of contact between their secluded world and modern life modern life stretched out its steam feeler to this point three or four times a day touched the native existences and quickly withdrew its feeler again as if what it touched had been uncongenial they reached the feeble light which came from the smoky lamp of a little railway station a poor enough terrestrial star yet in one sense of more importance to Talbot talbothay's dairy and mankind than the celestial ones to which it stood in such humiliating contrast the cans of new milk were unladen in the rain tess getting a little shelter from a neighbouring holly-tree then there was the hissing of a train which drew up almost silently upon the wet rails and the milk was rapidly swung can by can into the truck the light of the engine flashed for a second upon tess durbeyfield's figure motionless under the great holly-tree no object could have looked more foreign to the gleaming cranks and wheels than this unsophisticated girl with the round bare arms the rainy face and hair the suspended attitude of a friendly leopard at pause the print gown of no date or fashion and the cotton bonnet drooping on her brow. She mounted again beside her lover, with a mute obedience characteristic of impassioned natures at times, and when they had wrapped themselves up over head and ears in the sailcloth again, they plunged back into the now thick night. Tess was so receptive that the few minutes of contact with the whirl of material progress lingered in her thought. Londoners will drink it at their breakfasts to-morrow, won't they? she asked. "'Strange people that we have never seen.' "'Yes, I suppose they will, though not as we send it, when its strength has been lowered, so that it may not get up into their heads. Noble men and noble women, ambassadors and centurions, ladies and tradeswomen, and babies who have never seen a cow—well, yes, perhaps—particularly centurions—who don't know anything of us.' and where it comes from, or think how we two drove miles across the moor to-night, in the rain, that it might reach them in time. We did not drive entirely on account of these precious Londoners. We drove a little on our own, on account of that anxious matter which you will, I am sure, set at rest, dear Tess. Now, permit me to put it in this way. You belong to me already, you know. Your heart, I mean. Does it not? You know as well as I. Oh, yes, yes. Then if your heart does, why not your hand? My only reason was on account of you. On account of a question. I I have something to tell you. But suppose it be entirely for my happiness and my worldly convenience also. Oh, yes, if it is for your happiness and worldly convenience. But my life before I came here, I want— Well, it is for my convenience, as well as my happiness. If I have a very large farm, either English or colonial, you will be invaluable as a wife to me. Better than a woman out of the largest mansion in the country. So please, please, dear Tassie, disabuse your mind of the feeling that you will stand in my way but my history i want you to know it you must let me tell you you will not like me so well tell it if you wish to dearest this precious history then yes i was born at so-and-so anno domini i was born at marlott she said catching at his words as a help lightly as they were spoken and I grew up there. And I was in the sixth standard when I left school, and they said I had great aptness and should make a good teacher. So it was settled that I should be one. But there was trouble in my family. Father was not very industrious, and he drank a little. Yes, yes, poor child, nothing new." He pressed her more closely to his side. And then, there is something very unusual about Uh, it—about me. I—I was—' Tess's breath quickened. "'Yes, dearest. Never mind. I—I am not a Derbyfield, but a Durberville—a descendant of the same family as those that owned the old house we passed. And we are all gone to nothing.' D'Urberville! Indeed! And is that all the trouble, dear Tess? Yes, she answered faintly. Well, why should I love you less after knowing this? I was told by the dairyman that you hated old families. He laughed. (laughs) Well, it is true, in one sense, I do hate the aristocratic principle of blood before everything and do think that as reasoners the only pedigrees we ought to respect are those spiritual ones of the wise and virtuous without regard to corporal paternity but I am extremely interested in this news you can have no idea how interested I am are you not interested yourself in being one of that well-known line no i have thought it sad especially since coming here and knowing that many of the hills and fields I see once belonged to my father's people. But other hills and fields belong to Reddy's people, and perhaps others to Marion's, so that I don't value it particularly. Yes, it is surprising how many of the present tillers of the soil were once owners of it, and I sometimes wonder that a certain school of politicians don't make capital of the circumstance, but they don't seem to know it. I wonder that I did not see the resemblance of your name to D'Urberville, and trace the manifest corruption. And this was the carking secret." She had not told. At the last moment her courage had failed her. She feared his blame for not telling him sooner, and her instinct of self-preservation was stronger than her candour. "'Of course,' continued the unwitting Clare. I should have been glad to know you to be descended exclusively from the long-suffering, dumb, unrecorded rank and file of the English nation, and not from the self-seeking few who made themselves powerful at the expense of the rest. But I am corrupted away from that by my affection for you, Tess,' he laughed as he spoke, and made selfish likewise, "'for your own sake I rejoice in your descent.' And this fact of your extraction may make an appreciable difference to its acceptance of you as my wife, after I have made you the well-read woman that I mean to make you. My mother, too, poor soul, will think so much better of you on account of it. Tess, you must spell your name correctly, D'Urberville, from this very day. I like the other way rather best. But you must, dearest—good heavens, why dozens of mushroom millionaires would jump at such a possession by the by there's one of that kidney who has taken the name where have i heard of him up in the neighbourhood of the chase i think why he is the very man who had that rumpus with my father i told you of what an odd coincidence angel i think i would rather not take the name it's unlucky perhaps she was agitated now then mistress theresa d'urberville i have you take my name and so you will escape yours the secret is out so why should you any longer refuse me if it is sure to make you happy to have me as your wife and you feel that you do wish to marry me very very much i do dearest of course I mean that it is only your wanting me very much, and being hardly able to keep alive without me, whatever my offences, that would make me feel I ought to say I will. You will. You do say it, I know. You will be mine for ever and ever. He clasped her close and kissed her. Yes. She had no sooner said it, then she burst into a dry hard sobbing so violent that it seemed to rend her tess was not a hysterical girl by any means and he was surprised i can't tell quite i am so glad to think of being yours and making you happy but this does not seem very much like gladness my tessie i mean i cry because i have broken down in my vow i said i would die unmarried but if you love me you would like me to be your husband yes 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 but oh i sometimes wish i had never been born now my dear tess if i did not know that you are very much excited and very inexperienced i should say that remark was not very complimentary how came you to wish that if you care for me do you care for me i wish you would prove it in some way how can i prove it more than i have done she cried in a distraction of tenderness will this prove it more she clasped his neck and for the first time claire learnt what an impassioned woman's kisses were like upon the lips of one whom she loved with all her heart and soul as tess loved him There now do you believe she asked flushed and wiping her eyes yes i never really doubted never never so they drove on through the gloom forming one bundle inside the sailcloth. the horse going as he would and the rain driving against them she had consented she might as well have agreed at first the appetite for joy which pervades all creation, that tremendous force which sways humanity to its purpose as the tide sways the helpless weed, was not to be controlled by vague lucubrations over the social rubric. "'I must write to my mother,' she said. "'You don't mind my doing that?' "'Of course not, dear child. You are a child to me, Tess, not to know how very proper it is to write to your mother at such a time and how wrong it would be in me to object. Where does she live? At the same place, Marlott, on the further side of Blackmoor Vale. Ah, then I have seen you before this summer. Yes, at that dance on the green, but you would not dance with me. Oh, I hope that is of no ill omen for us now. End of Part 3